I have titled my sermon, I believe, an appropriate title. Rise, kill, and eat. All right, this is scriptural. This is straight up out of the word of God. We're going to get there. Don't worry. And my question is, what are you hunting with your life? So you might be saying, well, Ryan, that's obvious. It's deer season. We're hunting deer. Okay. Now, I mean, in a deeper way, what is your aim? What is your focus? What is your purpose? Do all of our hunts in life have the same value? I think we could all say that we've been down some roads, some trails, even some pursuits in life that were like, man, that was not worthy of my time. Um, you know, but they're not all lost, right? Sometimes we go down these wrong paths, and even though they weren't maybe worthy of our time or the best use of it, God is really good at picking us out of a bad place and even using our bad experiences for his glory and for our good in the future. Amen? He is our redeemer. But today we just want to look at our lives, and I want to look at a couple figures from Scripture and how they were pursuing God, and how they were hunting after, seeking the Lord with their lives, and what the result of that was. In Romans 2.7, it says, To those who by persistence, all right, there's a lot of hunting terminology here, persistence, persisting in doing good, seek glory, honor, and immortality, he will give eternal life. Now, Paul was not coming up with a works theology here. I believe he really was talking about what I'm talking about here today, that as we put our aim in the right place, that we walk in the blessing of God. When we walk according to his will for our lives, we are blessed and we will receive through Christ eternal life in the end. It says in verse 8, but for those who are self-seeking, and who reject the truth and follow evil, there will be wrath and anger. And, and that's true. And, you know, unfortunately, the idea of like hell or wrath or, you know, in today's society is kind of being lost. Like people are like, oh, there's no hell. Who would serve a vengeful God? No, no, no. God gives us a path to eternal life in Christ. It's a gift to us. It, it's offered freely because Jesus paid. And we have a choice to accept it or not. And so for those who accept it, we receive eternal life. For those who reject it, well, God was merciful and, and gave people a choice. Can I hear an amen? People are given a choice. So here's the deal in life. Not all pursuits are the same. And so often enough, what you pursue, you will find. In Matthew 7, verse 7, it says, Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Now this is, in context, Jesus is talking about asking God for gifts, right? And when we knock on, on the door and we ask the Lord, we seek the Lord, he will often open the door and give what you're seeking. Um, I would say it can also apply to lesser pursuits that if we continue to knock on a door that isn't necessarily a good one for us, guess what? There's usually someone willing to open it. And you know what? That someone does not have your best in mind, right? Whether it's temptation, the enemy, drugs, friends that are into things that ultimately are not going to be for our good. If you knock on that door, chances are good you'll find that as well. And so God is saying, 
Ask me. Knock on the doors that bring life to you. Verse 9, he says, Which of you, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? You know, family, so God is encouraging us. Knock on the door. Seek me. Find me. Take time discerning what my will is for your life, and good things will come because we have a good God. Amen? So again, what you pursue, you will find. And not all pursuits are worthy of your life, time, energy, and resources. And here's a good question we can ask. At the end of my life, will my energy spent on blank be worth it? You fill in the blank. The founder of Panera Bread, who is highly successful in business, his name is Ron Scheich, spends a few days each year doing something very odd. He pre-writes his own obituary every year for a couple days. Now, this, is, this was a business-focused article, okay? And he takes time thinking through his business and what they hope to accomplish and what he believes people, he would want read about him at the end of his life. And uh, he's very, very accomplished. I mean, if you tried Panera Bread, it's amazing. <laughs> but beyond that, um, they become a very successful company. I think it's a really cool idea. So at the end of your life, what will you want to have accomplished? What will you want your obituary to say? What pursuits are worth it? And Scripture gives us a really good idea on a lot of pursuits that... Um, will not lead to life, and a lot of pursuits that will. We're going to get there in a little bit. But I want to pick up with us this morning with a man whose name is Cornelius. And we're going to be in Acts chapter 10. And here we see this character, Cornelius. He lived in, or he worked in, I should say, he was a Roman centurion. He was over the city of Caesarea, which was on the eastern coast of Israel. And in verse 10, or excuse me, chapter 10, verse 1, It says, at Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion in what was known as the Italian Regiment. He and all his family were devout and God-fearing. He gave generously to those in need and prayed to God regularly. All right, so we have a map of Caesarea there on the left side, on the eastern side of, excuse me, western side, my bad, western side of Israel, we have Caesarea, and this is where he was uh, in charge. And if you remember, Israel at this time was under Roman rule. Um, Some would call it Roman oppression. And yet, here we have this man, Cornelius, who was a God-fearing man. Now, Cornelius was very, uh, this, this was kind of unheard of, what Cornelius was like. So consider this, Cornelius, next, next slide, he was a Roman Gentile, okay? So again, Uh, We talked last week about the Jewish race and how God still has a huge plan for Israel and for the Jewish people. But here we have a Gentile oppressor, really, um, a Roman stationed in Israel. And he was a centurion, so he was a high-ranking officer. There's a good chance that he had a hundred or more soldiers underneath his command. And yet, he worshipped Yahweh. He worshipped the true God. And he gave gifts to the poor. So I like to put it this way. He was hunting. And he was hunting the right thing with his life. 
somehow, by the grace of God, he was able to work through all of these uh, cultural obstacles. And whether he was just observing the Jewish people and saying, wow, these are great people, they love each other, they love God, they're devout. And he caught on and he was like, wow, I want to do that too. Um, He was hunting hard after God. He was seeking God with his life. And so this was very unique. He had a whole bunch of other gods being a Roman soldier that he could have worshipped. The god of Mars was the god of war that they worshipped a lot. And yet he chose to serve the god of the Jewish people. And so this is an amazing thing. He was hunting hard after God. He was, he was very close to knowing the whole picture of who God was. And yet he didn't quite have it. But little did he know that God was coming for him. In verse 3, we see one day at about 3 in the afternoon, he had a vision. He distinctly saw an angel of God who came to him and said, Cornelius! Cornelius stared at him in fear. What is it, Lord? He asked. The angel answered, Your prayers and gifts to the poor have come up as a memorial offering before God. Now send men to Joppa to bring back a man named Simon, who is called Peter. So Cornelius, he knows the God of Israel. He is yet to meet Jesus. And so um, this angel appears. And eventually we'll see he, he finds Jesus. And this goes to a question, a, a theological question that a lot of people have. What happens to people who never have the opportunity to hear of God's Son? Never have the opportunity to hear about Jesus. I mentioned this in worship, but in Romans chapter 1 it says, The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of people who suppress the truth by their wickedness since what may be known about God is plain to them because God has made it plain to them. How? For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities... His eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made so that people are without excuse. Okay, so you ask, well, what about some tribe on a remote island that never hears about Jesus? Paul is saying clearly that they have every opportunity to know and trust in God. And from that, I've heard many, many, many stories of people where Jesus is not proclaimed regularly where God visits them in a dream and reveals who Jesus is. Uh, He speaks to them, maybe even audibly, and reveals who Jesus is. And so um, there is something about acknowledging and saying, even though I maybe haven't heard the name Jesus yet, there is a creator. I am not him, and I worship the creator. And then God finds a way to reveal himself to them in a greater way. I'm going to keep on reading here in verse 21 of Romans chapter 1. And so this is the opposite of what people do. It says, For although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him. But their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like a mortal human being and birds and animals and reptiles. So he's saying, okay, I've revealed myself, I am God, and they are, because it says of their wickedness, choosing not to acknowledge God, but then to recreate God in their own image, or in the image of an animal or a bird or whatever. 
And, and, and we see this. And yet God is so longing for people to worship him, the true God. Why? Because he wants to give them life. He knows that all of those lesser images are not going to bring true fulfillment and true life. It says in verse 24, Therefore God gave them over in the sinful desires of their hearts to sexual impurity for the degrading of their bodies with one another. They exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served created things rather than the creator who is forever praised. Amen. There's a whole lot of things that could go there, but I'm just, I want to keep going. Godquestions.org, uh, one of my favorite websites, godquestions.org. If you're ever like, I have a God question I can't figure out. Like, it's a really good site, and um, they, they share pretty balanced viewpoints. Deuteronomy 4.29 proclaims, But if from there you seek the Lord your God, you will find him if you look for him with all your heart and with all your soul. So again, here's just a general idea that when people are looking for God, you're gonna, he's going to find you. He's going to reveal himself to you in a greater way to where you say, there's a God, I am not him. I worship you, God. The problem is, as God question says in Romans 3.11, people choose, and it says there is no one who understands, no one who seeks God. So instead of looking at creation and all the things that God has revealed, people say, okay, I acknowledge, I acknowledge that maybe there is a God, but I choose I choose to worship something less. And I think that's, that's the whole thing. But what's awesome about this story of Cornelius is he gets it. He gets it right. He sees the revelation of who God is. Maybe it's because he's working on the coast. I mean, come on. He's got beaches around him. There must be a God. This is amazing. Station me in Caesarea all my life. But no, I think he, he observes the Jewish people and he says, wow, there's a God. I'm not him. I'm going to serve the real God. And so he's responding to God and he's ignoring these. He had a lot of options again to worship lesser gods, but he chose the real God. He chose to worship Yahweh of the Jewish people. And so the angel, back to the angel, appears to Cornelius and says, I've got more of the story for you. Go find Peter. And in verse 6, it says, He is staying with Simon the Tanner, whose house is by the sea. When the angel who spoke to him had gone, Cornelius called two of his servants and a devout soldier who was one of his attendants. Again, it, it blows my mind that this guy was like a high-ranking official. And yet, he's sending people to go to the will of God. He told them everything that had happened and sent them to Joppa. And back to the map real quick, Kyle. Joppa was not too far, as you'll be able to see from the map, away from where they were in Caesarea. There you go. So it's just to the south. In verse 9, it says, About noon the following day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up on the roof to pray. This is one of the funnest sections of Scripture for me. He became hungry and wanted something to eat. And while the meal was being prepared, he fell into a trance. He saw heaven opened and something like a large sheet being let down to earth by its four corners. It can... It contained all kinds of four-footed animals as well as reptiles and birds. Then a voice told him, Get up, Peter, kill and eat. See, rise, kill and eat is scriptural. Right there. Hunting is in the Bible. Verse 14, Surely not, Lord, Peter replied. 
I've never eaten anything impure or unclean. The voice spoke to him a second time. Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. This happened three times and immediately the sheet was taken back to heaven. If God ever says, Ryan, rise, kill and eat. Ryan, go hunting. I'm, yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Hallelujah. All right, so this has a, a deeper meaning though. So what was let down on the sheet was, was pictures of unclean animals. So uh, white-tailed deer actually meets the qualifications of being a clean animal because they uh, had a split hoof and chewed the cud is, is what the um, Jewish law says, the law of Moses. Uh, but um, like pig, bacon, man, they missed out in the Old Testament. I'm so grateful for these verses because I love bacon. But all sorts of different things that would have been considered unclean were let down on this sheet. And, and God tells him, rise, kill, and eat. Now, of course, God is using this as a big word picture, okay? He didn't, unfortunately, he didn't literally mean go hunting. But what, what he meant was that someone's going to come knocking on your door that you would have considered unclean and unworthy of your time and your life. And that's exactly what happened here. So in verse 17, it says, While Peter was wondering about the meaning of the vision, the men sent by Cornelius found out where Simon's house was and stopped at the gate. They called out asking if Simon, who was known as Peter, was staying there. While Peter was still thinking about the vision, the spirit said to him, Simon, three men are looking for you. So get up and go downstairs. Do not hesitate to go with them, for I have sent them. Peter went down and said to the men, I'm the one you're looking for. Why have you come? Now, you have to remember, these were the Roman oppressors. And he was one of them. Like, and you were Jewish and he was Gentile. The Romans looked down on the Jews. The Jews looked down on the Gentiles. This was a real clash. So for Peter to even like go to the door happily and respond happily was something. It said, the men replied, we have come from Cornelius the centurion. Oh, him. He is a righteous and God-fearing man who is respected by all the Jewish people. Okay, this might not be so bad. A holy angel told him to ask you to come to his house so that he could hear what you have to say. Then Peter invited the men into the house to be his guests. The next day, Peter started out with them, and some of the believers from Joppa went along. The following day, he arrived in Caesarea. Cornelius was expecting them and had called together his relatives and close friends. As Peter entered the house, Cornelius met him and fell at his feet in reverence. A Roman centurion bowed down to a Jewish man. Again, only Jesus can do this kind of racial reconciliation. But Peter said, get up. He said, I'm only a man myself. In verse 27, it says, While talking with him, Peter went inside and found a large gathering of people. He said to them, You are well aware that it is against our law for a Jew to associate with or visit a Gentile. But God has shown me that I should not call anyone impure or unclean. All right. The vision of the sheet was not about hunting. Aw. But it had a deeper purpose. In verse 29, it says, so when I was sent for, I came without raising any objection. May I ask why you sent for me? Cornelius answered, three days ago, I was in my house praying at this hour at three in the afternoon. Suddenly a man in shining clothes stood before me and said, Cornelius, God has heard your prayer and remembered your gifts to the poor. 
Man, if you ever wonder if following God is worth it, remember Cornelius. He was seeking God, devoted to God, giving gifts to the poor. God sees everything that you do for his name and his glory. And, and he's keeping track. And there will be a time when, when we are rewarded for how we serve God in this life. Verse 34, then Peter began to speak. I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism, but accepts from every nation the one who fears him and does what is right. You know the message God sent to the people of Israel, announcing the good news of peace through Jesus Christ, who is Lord of all. So there's a good chance that he maybe heard of Jesus, but maybe didn't know the whole story. You know what has happened throughout the province of Judea, beginning in Galilee after the baptism that John preached, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power, and how he went around doing good and healing all who were under the power of the devil because God was with him. We are witnesses of everything he did in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They killed him by hanging him on a cross. And this is maybe what Cornelius didn't know. But God raised him from the dead on the third day and caused him to be seen. He was not seen by all the people, but by witnesses whom God had already chosen, by us who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. He commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one whom God appointed as judge of the living and the dead. All the prophets testify about him, that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. Now, it doesn't ever say, Peter said, everyone bow your heads and we're going to pray to receive Jesus, okay? Not that that's a wrong thing by any means. But it says, while Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit came on all who heard the message. That means that at some point in this dialogue, these people believed in faith in Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit poured out upon the whole room and they began speaking in tongues just like the apostles had done not long ago in Jerusalem after Jesus ascended into heaven. It says the circumcised believers who had come with Peter were astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on Gentiles. Now again, if you weren't a Jewish person in this day and age, and you were, or you were a Jew and you knew that it is the Jewish people that show the way of salvation, which Cornelius even understood to an extent. Like, had Jesus not come and had the Israelites not messed up time and time again and ultimately turned their back on God as a nation, somehow, some way, we would be probably traveling to Jerusalem and seeking God and offering sacrifices in Jerusalem because God first made the covenant with the Jewish people. But because they messed up, because the way was an inferior way to ultimately God's plan of salvation through Jesus, Jesus came from heaven to earth, laid down his life and opened the door for all people. And guess what? If it wasn't for what happened right here in Scripture, you and I would not be part of the covenant of blood of Jesus Christ. Like, we wouldn't know about it. But because of this, this opened the door to the Gentiles. And Peter, even though Paul was the apostle to the Gentiles, Peter was the first one to be used by God to open the door to the Gentile peoples. And they, they couldn't believe it. They're like, wow, these guys are being filled with the Spirit? Do you ever make judgments about people? I know, I never have. But do you ever make judgments about 
Of course, we all do at different times, right? And, and this is just another caution for us. Don't, don't judge. Only God knows the heart of people. Only God knows what's going on in their lives. Only God can see the internal battles and struggles. And that's why to represent Christ in this world, we should be kind to all people. People who don't live like us. People who believe differently than us. People who look and act and have different cultures than us, right? If we're going to shine the light of Jesus in this world, we must, we must be those who have the attitude of Christ and, and, and not make judgments about peoples. Allow God to be the judge, amen? Now, as I preached before, you can judge people's actions and you can say, I probably shouldn't spend a whole lot of time um, doing those things. Actions that lead to harmful things in our life. And that's not judging. That's just using wisdom to say, I should probably avoid that. But people, we don't know what God is doing in their life. And so we need to um, just have the heart of Jesus and, and not judge. And so they couldn't believe that these Gentile believers had been filled with the Holy Spirit, which means they had come to faith in Christ. And, and so it says, uh, Peter said, Surely no one can stand in the way of their being baptized with water. All right, so again, we see this pattern, belief, baptism. We believe, and then we're baptized. It's the New Testament pattern. So no one can stand in the way of their being baptized with water. They've received the Holy Spirit just as we have. Amazing. So he ordered that they be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Then they asked Peter to stay with them for a few days. is devout. He has, God has revealed who he was to him, whether in nature or whether by the people around him. And he's worshiping the true God. And yet God says, I'm going to show you the whole story. And he sends his servant Peter, who chooses not to hunt when God tells him to. But he goes in obedience and he tells him the whole picture. That, hey, God came from heaven to earth in the form of Jesus as his son and laid down his life for you. It's an amazing... does give us... What are we aiming for with our lives? What are you aiming for? At the end of your life, if you were to pre-write your obituary... What would you want it to say? Would you want it to say, that guy worked really hard and got a lot of stuff? Probably not, right? I mean, nothing wrong with working hard and having a fulfilling career. But wealth for wealth's sake in itself is not super fulfilling. Um, wealth to bless other people, that's, that's a fulfilling thing. How about your relationships? Are your relationships worthy of investment? And of course, the clear answer is absolutely. If at the end of your life, people said of you, that person loved really, really well. I think that is something worth putting a, a check mark on your pre-obituary. How about that person pursued God with all their heart, all of their days? That's something worth putting on your pre-obituary. How about that person was humble 
and said they're sorry when they knew they were in the wrong. That would be worth putting on your pre-obituary. Caring for the people around us. I think that it's not too hard to know what God says, this is worth your time, this is worth your investment. Ephesians 5.15 says, See then that you walk, this is New King James, okay, circumspectly, meaning you're looking, you're observing, not as fools but as wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil. How do we redeem the time? Well, we act like Cornelius. We seek the Lord. We do good. We bless people around us. We're generous. That's how you redeem the time. And so here's the question I want to end with. What if our sole aim, our main hunt, our one purpose was to bring glory to God with our lives? Let me tell you guys, that's a hunt that won't disappoint. You don't know how many hunts I've come back from a little disappointed. May that not be you. May you shoot all the deer you desire. But, tell you what, no matter what our earthly pursuits are, they're they are not the full pursuit unless we are seeking God in the process. And when we seek him and when we honor him, guess what? We'll find fulfillment, we'll find peace, we'll find joy, and we'll get to do some of the other things. We'll get to see some awesome things happen in our lives and the people around us. We'll get to shoot some deer. We'll get to have fun with our friends, right? Because God is good to us. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you for this morning. Lord, I thank you so much for your people. God, I thank you that you love each one that's here today. Lord, I thank you that you came from heaven to earth to make it clear to us how to worship and who to worship and why to worship. God, I thank you that our lives were made to worship you. So Father, I I pray, God, that even this week, even sitting on the deer stand or whatever, we would ask the question of ourselves, are the things I'm hunting, are the pursuits that I'm pursuing with my life, are they worthy? Are they worthy of the gift that you gave by dying for us? Are they worthy of our time and effort and energy? Will they be things that we would want said about us in the end, Lord? Father, I pray, God, that you just speak to our hearts by your Holy Spirit. I thank you that the same God who showed up for Cornelius and worked through Peter is alive and well for those who believe today. So we turn our hearts towards you this morning and we say thank you, God. I bless your people this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.